Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Carrie's at 24 weeks today, which means baby's viable, which is exciting. <laughs> um, as I think about Father's Day, sometimes I'll try to call my sister. I have one sister, and she'll, she won't answer, and she'll text me, I can't talk right now because I'm talking, or I, I can't talk to you right now, I'll call you later, I'm talking to dad. Or sometimes she'll say I'm talking to mom. And she and I do this thing where when that happens, the other person will always call the parent to see if, who, whose call they'll take um, as a test. And, and we both know that the other person is doing, I don't know if my parents have ever caught on, but so when I'm talking to my mom and she's like, hold on for a second, your sister's calling me, I know exactly what's happening. But, um, but again, happy Father's Day. Um, I probably only speak for myself, but I already ate the, the candy. I, I didn't eat the candy bar yet. But. Um, it's good to see June this morning. And uh, good to have you with us today. I saw him kill a fly last week with a cane. It was one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen. It was on the window, and he picked it up like he was going to swing it. And I was thinking, I hope he doesn't do that. But then he just took like the base of the cane and... Just very calmly, and it worked. Um, but again, it's good to be with you this morning. Thank you to Bruce and Pam for doing music. Both those songs were lovely today, uh, so thank you for that. Um, I know John referenced the prayer list that we have in the bulletin this morning, and, and really just, to me, this is just such a, a picture of God's faithfulness. Uh, that he, he is working and that prayer works. I heard a quote this week that, that really made me think that, you know, sometimes people don't pray because they don't really believe that it works. But prayer does work and God is faithful. And uh, please continue to pray for the people on this list. Also, um, before we get into the text, which will be in Romans chapter 1 this morning, switching it up a little bit this week. Um, I'm not going to be here next Sunday. We're going to be in Ohio for a couple of days. But next Sunday is actually the 50th anniversary of the first service in this building, June 27, 1971. And again, another picture of God's faithfulness and goodness to this church and in this community. Um, and one of the things I want to try to do this summer, especially for people who were here 50 years ago, is to record people's stories and memories of 50 years ago, uh, when this church started. So that's a, a project I want to work on and uh, be able to put those online. If you don't want to participate, you don't have to. But uh, I, I think things like that are, you know, just preserving history and those memories, I think, is just such a worthwhile task. Um, but Romans chapter 1 is where we'll be this morning, verses 16 and 17. And I invite you to read along with me. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a church that is not ashamed by the gospel, that we would see that it is your power and your goodness and your love, Lord that makes your grace and forgiveness available through your son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross. 
And that every day we can live lives totally transformed in the light of that truth. Lord, I pray for people on this prayer list this morning. I continue to pray for Barb Allen as uh, she goes through rounds of chemotherapy. And um, Lord, I just continue to, to pray for her and for these treatments, for the doctors who are taking care of her, Lord, and for her family. Lord, we continue to pray for Jackie Bauer. Lord, we pray for answers. Lord, we pray for her health. Um, Pray for the doctors who are looking over her information. And again, we just pray for clarity for her and her family. Lord, we pray for healing. Lord, we uh, pray for this co-worker of Ellen's, John Schmidt, and the battle that he's beginning to undertake with cancer. Lord, and we pray for him. Lord, we're thankful to hear that he knows you and believes in you. And we pray, Lord, for this time that it would bring him closer to you. But we also pray for, again, these treatments in this battle that he has on the horizon. Lord, we pray for all the fathers here today. Lord, we thank you for the men who we have in this church who have been wonderful fathers to children, who have been wonderful father figures to people who were not their children, mentors, teachers. Lord, we thank you that you are our perfect heavenly father, that regardless of what we, um, the experience we have with our earthly fathers, for good or for bad, that we have a perfect heavenly Father. Lord, and on this day we celebrate them. Lord, we pray for our time as we study in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our society loves justice. If you look at the TV listings in the middle of the day, it's a lot of judge shows, Judge Judy, the people's court. Couples court, hot bench. In terms of evening television, of the top 25 most popular rated shows in America last season, 11 of them revolved around crime. Shows like NCIS, NCIS Los Angeles, The Equalizer, Blue Bloods, 911 Lone Star, Chicago PD, FBI, Law and Order Organized Crime. You have whole channels largely dedicated to crime. Headline news in the evening basically becomes the Forensic Files channel. Investigation Discovery is basically the murder show channel. Before being canceled last summer, Live PD was the most popularly DVR'd show in America. Shows like Cops and America's Most Wanted have become cultural staples. Cable channels cover high-profile court cases seemingly exhaustively. Casey Anthony, Michael Jackson's trial, O.J. Simpson, just to name a few. We live in a society that loves justice. Even in sports, as replay rules have changed in sports, the technology has gotten more sophisticated, sports fans are outraged when the wrong call happens. It could be two teams you don't even care about. You still like the right thing to happen. We love justice. We love when the right thing happens. In terms of movies, we love stories of good and evil. Six of the top 20 highest grossing films of all time are Marvel action movies, good versus evil. Other movies in the top 20, Star Wars, Avatar, The Lion King, good and evil. We love justice. We love it when the good guy wins and the bad guy loses. We love it when the right thing happens. But then we consider the idea of a just and righteous God, and suddenly, we don't always like that idea so much. 
The idea of a holy God who judges people is so often looked at with contempt. How could God judge? Judging is bad. We love justice, but we so often hate the idea of a God who judges. And it's on that train of thought that I want to consider our passage this morning from Romans chapter 1, where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Our world loves what's just and right. The gospel is the righteousness of God revealed to the world and points a sinful world to true justice and true righteousness. And so with this passage this morning, we have three things in this section that we're going to look at about what this passage teaches us about the gospel. What it is, who it's for, and how it works. First point, what the gospel is. Going back to verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. There is power in the gospel because of what it represents. It is the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He is the Lord who came into the world for our salvation. And by understanding the gospel, it introduces us to the will of God. It communicates to us God's redemption The story of the Bible shows us God's faithfulness to his people. In Romans 10, 17, Paul will talk about how faith comes through hearing. We hear the message of salvation, which can stir faith. It points to life. I love this quote from the late Leon Morris, a New Testament scholar. The gospel is not advice to people, suggesting that they lift themselves. It is power. It lifts them up. Paul does not say that the gospel brings power, but that it is power, and God's power at that. When the gospel is preached, this is not simply so many words being uttered. The power of God is at work. When the gospel enters anyone's life, it is as though the very fire of God has come upon him. There is warmth and light in his life. And it is because the gospel is the power of God for salvation that Paul can say he is not ashamed of the gospel. But what does that mean? Not ashamed of the gospel. There can be this temptation to be almost embarrassed by the gospel message or to want to water it down and make it say something that it isn't saying. Why? Because the gospel is offensive. The idea that there is a God who created us, who is greater than us, is offensive to those who don't have faith. The idea that God is good and that we are sinful is offensive. The idea that God judges sin is offensive. In 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says that it is the aroma of life to those who believe, but the stench of death to those who are perishing. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul talks about how the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but that it is the power of God to those who are saved. Another reason why people can be ashamed of the gospel. People can be ashamed of the gospel because it's exclusive. What about other faiths? 
What about a person who lives in a place where they haven't heard the message yet? What about a person who's a good person but just doesn't believe? As this passage continues, Paul addresses the world and its rejection of the gospel. Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. Text might be a little bit small on the screen. But he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul says that there is no excuse. The reason why a person does not believe in the gospel is not because of their own it's not because of unfairness, not because of, an, uh, of not having an opportunity. We are sinful, and our sin separates us from God. People can be ashamed of the gospel because the things that Christianity teaches. Sure, we can all get on board with teachings that it's good to love people, but there are harder passages to follow. One I just said, we don't like the idea that humanity is sinful. It is in separation from God apart from Christ. Other unpopular ideas. The total devotion that Jesus calls us to. Passages which deal with divine wrath. Passages which deal with suffering. Passages which deal with subjects like slavery. Not popular ideas. There are biblical passages which challenge us on moral issues. Passages that deal with subjects of sexuality. But we should not be ashamed of the gospel. There could be this temptation to be ashamed of the gospel because of the simplicity of the gospel. The message that it is faith in Jesus that makes a person right with God and nothing else. That we do not control our salvation. But instead, we are saved by faith alone through Christ alone. It almost seems too good to be true. That all you have to do is say you have faith in Jesus to be forgiven. What about how good we are? What about how I live my life? I'm good to people. I love my family. I'm generous. I don't gossip. And it can be easy to look at those things and to think because of those things, somehow we deserve God's goodness or forgiveness or favor. We can think that lots of people are good people, maybe even better than us, who don't have faith. We can be tempted to think that maybe they don't need the gospel. But that view is unbiblical. That is not the gospel. And the very idea that our goodness doesn't warrant God's favor and blessing, we could be tempted to feel ashamed of that. That Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Some mock the gospel. They mock the message of forgiveness. That God forgives people just because they have faith. Some people ask, if it's not about how you live, and it's all about faith, then why even worry about being good? Paul actually addresses that question later on in the book of Romans. 6 verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in, gra- are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
How can we who have died to sin still live in it? And Paul will continue to show in that chapter that that mentality shows a person who doesn't truly have the gospel, who hasn't been truly transformed by the gospel. People can be ashamed of God when the going gets tough, when bad things happen, when life doesn't go as planned, and question the Savior who allows these things to happen. There can be many reasons why people become weary of the gospel. But because the gospel is the power of God for salvation, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. There is no shame in the gospel and in truly knowing it. And we should love the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. We should take joy in the gospel. And while we probably never use phrases like being ashamed or shamed of the gospel, like I said, there can be this temptation to go through life when we read the Bible, when we interact with non-believers, to have this sense of shame in it. We can live functionally shamed by the gospel. When we don't, when we don't believe what it teaches. When we want to add to the gospel. Or when we want to subtract from the gospel. Or when we want to make it anything other than what it is in the Bible. To do that shows that we are ashamed of the gospel. But to change the gospel makes it no longer the gospel. Makes it no longer the power of God for salvation. That we must be faithful to the truth of God. Don't apologize for God or for the gospel or for what we believe. So that's the first point, what the gospel is. Second point, who it's for. Continuing in verse 16. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Certainly the point that Paul is emphasizing here is that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for the whole world, for all who accept it. The gospel does not discriminate. No person or group is more deserving of the grace of God than any other. No one deserves the gospel based on their own merit. It is always God's grace. And it is because no one deserves the grace of God on their own merit that no person can be any less deserving than another. We are all equally unworthy without Christ. And what matters for everyone is believing in Jesus by faith. There is one gospel And all who are saved are saved because of the same gospel. No one's sins are so great that the cross of Christ cannot redeem them. No one is so stained so so much that the blood of the Lamb cannot wash them. And it is something that the world and every person in it desperately needs. And it is something that God offers to all who believe in it. Not ashamed of the gospel. Now, being from Ohio, being an Ohio State fan, by the way, for Father's Day, Carrie got me a t-shirt that says OH and a onesie that says IO. Um, For people who watch football, it's pretty common. You know, you you hear it called the Ohio State University, and people who aren't Ohio State fans who are jealous. Now, people who are not Ohio State fans tend to find that kind of obnoxious. But I think it's helpful, 
You know, it's the Ohio State University. There is the gospel. There's not a gospel. There aren't lots of gospels. There's the gospel. There is one gospel. In verse 16, where Paul says that the gospel is given to the Jew first and also to the Greek, the point is God's providence. That the hope of salvation was first given to God's chosen people, the Israelites, but now in Christ, the offer is global. Where he says, and also to the Greek, the Greek there is meant to represent the rest of the world. That is the good news. And I again return to a point that I made a couple times over the past few weeks. But Christianity is a global faith. It's for the Jew first and also for the Greek, which for most of us is of great importance. Most of us are not ethnically Jewish, if anyone here. It's for the person who was raised in the church and the person who was not. It's for the person who's had a a lifetime of walking the straight and arrow and the person who's had their demons. It's for all who come to Christ and believe in him by faith. So, so far we've talked about the gospel, what it is, who it's for. Third point, how it works. Verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What does that mean? God is righteous morally. He is perfect and without sin. He is holy. He is also righteous in everything he does. Everything God is, everything that God does is in accordance with his perfection. And so, because God is righteous, his gospel is also righteous. And the way that God forgives sinners is righteous. And the judgment on the ungodly is righteous. And the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And this passage says that the righteous shall live by faith. And that's a reference to Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet and in his book it's a time where judgment is coming upon the Israelites. But in spite of that, that there are still Righteous people in Israel living by faith. But what makes someone righteous? It's the faith itself. Later on in the book of Romans, Paul will quote in chapter 4, verse 3, referring back to Abraham, that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Referring to Genesis chapters 12 and 15 with that. That the righteousness that Abraham had a result of faith For everyone else who has ever lived, faith in the Lord is the basis for our righteousness. And for us, we are saved through Christ as a result of faith. Abraham was justified entirely by faith. Paul quotes the book of Genesis that Abraham, again, believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that, too, is what we must do to believe, to believe in the gospel. Abraham believed in the grace of God. And we see that on the cross. Again, that's not a way to be saved. It is the way to be saved. As a result of faith, you were declared righteous by God. 
We've talked before about the doctrine of justification by faith. Justification is right legal standing before God, and we are justified by faith. Later on in this letter, Paul will elaborate on justification in chapter 5 when he says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The reason why we can be made right is because we have a Savior who took the punishment of our sin for us. God is good. People are not. But because God is good, God made a way for people to be forgiven. And that way is Jesus. He paid the price. He gave his life to forgive yours. That there had to be a penalty for sin. God could not simply wipe the slate clean because that would be unjust and unrighteous. Because sin demands justice because sin comes at a cost. And on the cross, Jesus bears the price of our sins. I use this illustration on Good Friday. I think I've used it other times because I think it's so good. Tim Keller is really the one who clarifies this idea. That there's no such thing as simply forgiving. Forgiveness always comes at a cost. If I'm driving to your house and I accidentally run over your fence or break something in your house, that comes at a cost. Now, you could say, don't worry about it. I'll pay for it. Then you're bearing the cost of that. Or you could say, no, you're paying for this. Then I would bear the cost of my own sin. Or we could come to sort of some sort of mutual agreement where we are both paying for it. Somebody's paying for it. You could say, actually, forget about it. I don't need this fence anymore. You're still bearing the cost of not having what you have. It comes at a cost. Now, the greater the sin that we commit, the greater the cost is. Now, as humanity, we sin all the time in the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we think, the things that we don't do. Again, we talk about sin as if we do it like once or twice and never do it again. No. We're constantly, we are sinful people. And we live in a world of billions of other people. Humanity is sinful. And again, the bigger the sin, the higher the cost. If I'm five minutes late for something, that's a pretty easy thing to forgive. But when we really commit major transgressions against people, That takes a lot. That takes a lot to forgive. Because in a sense, in forgiving the person, you're bearing part of that cost of anger or bitterness towards them if you're truly forgiving them. Sin always comes at a cost. And so in the gospel, instead of just like a genie wiping the cost of sin away, God shows us both the cost of sin and Christ going to the cross, but he also shows the great love that he has for us in Christ going to the cross. That that was the cost and that was the love. Forgiveness always comes at a cost. All the wrongs, all the injustices in the world, 
all of the wrongs and sins in our own lives, our own hearts, our own actions. It's a price we can never pay ourselves. We can never have done enough to earn forgiveness because, again, we continue to be sinful. There was no hope aside from the cross. It's on the cross that Jesus himself bears our guilt, our punishment, and our sin. And the means through which Jesus forgives us is by faith and believing in him. Jesus bears the cost for us. We are in the courtroom, guilty of the crime, and Jesus instead confesses on our behalf and takes the punishment for us. And in Christ, we are found not guilty. That is the gospel. That is the righteousness that comes from God. In the gospel, we are justified because a righteous Savior took our punishment for us. But the justifying work does not justify the person who is then trying to earn forgiveness or grace before the judge. There's only one way to forgiveness through what Christ has done. As Paul will continue in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Again, there is justice in God's judgment for unbelief. God made a way, and the way to him is on the cross. God is glorified in all people. For those who believe, God is glorified in his gracious redemption and forgiveness. And for those who do not believe, who refuse God, who refuse to believe in the cross, who are dead in their own sins that they've committed, God is also glorified in his just and righteous and holy judgment. There is a price to be paid for sin. And Jesus pays it for all who believe in him. By his grace. It's there. It's there for the taking. We just have to believe in him. We have to know that Jesus is the Lord. Who took the weight of our sins. Like the popular Christian hymn says. Amazing love how can it be. That you my king should die for me. And we believe And the righteousness of God is revealed in us who are justified through the perfect life and death of a righteous Lord. And so with all of that said, taking everything in this passage together and what it tells us about the gospel, what it does, it reveals the power of God. The power of a God who is mighty to save. Who it's for, it's for the Jew and also for the Greek. It's for everyone who's willing to believe in Jesus by faith. It's a message that all the world desperately needs, the gospel, to understand the weight of sin and the glorious hope and grace of Christ. And how it works, because God justifies us when we have faith. He makes us right. Jesus takes the punishment for us. We are guilty, and he comes before the judge and pays the price. He lived a perfect life so that sinful people could be justified. He died. He rose again. And showing his victory over death. And to give us hope of eternal life in him. An innocent man died the death of the guilty. And rose so that the guilty could be declared innocent. And join him in eternal life. And it works through faith. It works through knowing what Jesus has done. 
The Bible says that if you confess your sins and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, you are forgiven. We aren't saved through knowing obscure theological ideas or through some checklist. We are saved by a person who is a personal God who died a personal death for people. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of a God who made a good world. Not ashamed of a God who is righteous. Not ashamed of a God who is perfect and who has moral standards. Not not ashamed of a God who made a way. Not ashamed of a God who took my penalty. Not ashamed of a God who loved me and was willing to die for me. Not ashamed of a God who rose from the dead so that we can enjoy eternity with him. Not ashamed of a God who did all these things despite the fact that we don't deserve them. Not ashamed of the gospel because it's the only message that brings life and grace. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, again, we are fallen people. And who knows what each of us has going on this morning and this week. Lord, through the... Through all of those things, through those challenges, through Father's Day, that can be a tough day for some of us who might not have fathers here with us, might have had difficult relationships with fathers, through people who might have health struggles or personal struggles or relational struggles. Lord, through all those things, may we look to the hope of the gospel and know that you are always good and that no matter what we are going through that you love us and may that be what gives us strength for this day in Jesus name Amen